Hi, listeners. Welcome to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. I'm joined by Pastor Brad. How are you doing today, Brad? I'm doing well. How about you? Well, the Hubers are doing great after Easter. We had good time, good fellowship with family. Uh, the kids got to see cousins. And so, and of course, it was a great start to the morning with your sermon. Uh, worship at Faith this Sunday was just great. Easter, I think I mentioned last podcast, Easter service is my all-time highlight of the year. Yeah. And uh, between Troy's hard work preparing the musical side of worship and your your diligence to God's word for that side of worship, it was a beautiful morning. So thank you for that. Uh, for the listeners that weren't able to hear the Easter message, it is on our website um, or wherever you stream your podcast. You just type in Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. So Brad, why don't you give us a recap of what you brought to us on Easter. Yeah, Easter is always a little bit different for sure from a preparation standpoint. We had a lot of visitors and I know a lot of our faith family was out of town. Yeah, it was a different um, perspective probably yeah. from the pulpit. It, it was. It was it was intriguing. It was interesting to go back to two services. I haven't preached two services in a while, so that was that was fun as well. Yeah. Um, the good thing was we were able to just kind of continue in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, because the end of 15 is all about the resurrection, and it's obviously based in Christ's resurrection and looking forward to our resurrection. And that that theme right in the middle, that quotation from Isaiah and Hosea of, you know, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Um, I think that is just really, really good good text to be teaching on Sunday morning, so on Easter, and I really enjoyed that opportunity. So Paul begins by reiterating this final declaration for them, and he, he reminds them of the fact that whether they're alive or dead, he's been addressing those that have fallen asleep, those that have died. And then here at the end of the chapter, he goes, oh, by the way, for those of you that are alive when Christ returns as well, and I don't think there's any reason to think that Paul thinks he will be alive when that takes place. People sometimes uh, we'll note that, but he's saying basically whatever believers are alive when Christ returns, they'll be transformed too, right? So the dead will be prepared to be present with Christ and the alive will be prepared to be present with Christ. And that's what he's trying to remind them of. And then as a result, he kind of launches into this, this doxology. He launches into this celebration of a future reality that he wants mm-hmm. to remind the church of. And that's the heart of the mass message that we really talked about as far as victory over death, that victory that we are given as a result of Christ. Christ's victory over death, this final victory where death is swallowed up. I love that terminology. I love that imagery of death being swallowed up and death is defeated and the pain of death is obliterated and the power of death is destroyed. And so we walked back through kind of what that means. And he talks about the good news and the bad news, the bad news of of our sin and our affront to a holy God and the good news of the gospel and the truth that we can have victory through Christ and this promise that one day death will finally be defeated. And then in light of all of that, it's interesting because... We've spent so much time talking about the resurrection, and it's not until verse 58 in chapter 15 that you find your first exhortation, like your first, and we've had things that we were encouraged to do, you know, in the messages, but his first thing that he actually lays out as far as an encouragement, a command to the church. And so he just reminds them that the way they should react to the and respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and this idea of remaining firmly planted, steadfast and immovable, remaining faithfully engaged, ministering for the sake of the lost, and this idea of being eternally minded, looking forward to this future hope that we have. And so Paul really puts the punctuation, the ending remarks on his discussion on the resurrection by reminding them that they need to live in light of that resurrection. And so we finished up by talking about that as well mm-hmm. on Sunday. What, what would you have covered if you had five more minutes on Sunday? Was there a part of the passage that you wanted to expound on more? Well, the, the one big thing that kind of didn't make it into the message uh, that I probably would have spent a little bit more time on uh, was this whole idea of the Old Testament and the law. 
This idea. I mean, it's interesting. He makes this comment in verse 56 that's related to, you know, the power of sin is the law. And that's, it's interesting because Paul hasn't been talking about the law over the course of the rest of this chapter. And so it, it's kind of this offhand comment where he's basically speaking to death has, has been made painful through sin. Like there's that reality where death wouldn't have been a reality apart from sin. But the law actually has a role in that as well. And we go, well, what does that look like? Now, this is an interesting discussion because if you read theologians, there's a whole lot of ink spilt on the relationship between what, what does Paul think of the Old Testament law? How does he view the way the Old Testament law was supposed to work? And, and I said that you find a little bit more of this in like Romans 7 and 8, you know, in some of those sections in Romans. And I think it's really intriguing to look at the way Paul views the law functioning here. And, and, and I think he has in mind the Old Testament law, right? The law of Moses, right? Especially the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, but he's, he's in this discussion in Romans chapter 7, and, and he makes a number of interesting comments, uh, similar vein to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he talks about the law. Let me just read some of these sections um, for our listeners, and hopefully this helps kind of illuminate this idea of the way Paul views this. In chapter 7, he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies and she's released from the law of marriage, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and she marries another man. She's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brother. So he's drawing this parallel. You who have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. It's, he's, he's, he's drawing this connection. He's basically saying you've now, as New Testament saints, been released from the law. You're no longer, it's no longer binding on you. And then he explains why. And this is what I think is really critical for us to remember. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And I think the, the point Paul is trying to make is exactly what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, that the law aroused sin. Like he's saying sin, death is working through sin, and the law, rather than restricting sin, the law actually produced or aroused this sin that was inside Mm -hmm. of us anyway. Mm -hmm. And so he's kind of speaking to the way this whole thing worked out because he's trying to highlight, especially for them, how this death came into the world and then how that death has been defeated for the first or for the believers in first Corinthians 15. And so he, he makes that comment like, okay, so the law was functioning the Old Testament because all of us are like that, right? All of us, the minute a rule is put in place, that's the one thing we want to do most, right? Like, I mean, it's like, don't right. tell me what I can't do. Right. Um, it's like a really good diet. Don't eat that donut, but I'm going to put the plate of donuts right here. Exactly. You've right? never wanted a donut more, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I want to say, yeah, it's, it's like when you see the speed limit sign, yeah. you know, then all of a sudden you're like, I can... Now I don't want to because I know that there's a restriction. Right. You know, right. it's going to inhibit my fun or I, right. something about the human condition. It's true. Where we're like this is where we want to want to be. And there's two kinds of people, right? Those that see the yellow light and go, "I can make it." <laughs> 
<laughs> right. And those are like, that's a yellow light. We need to stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. and he goes on to explain that process a little bit more in Romans 7. And this is where I think it, it gets really, really intriguing because he, he, he deals with like a potential objection, kind of like we have, we've talked about in 1 Corinthians as well. He says, what shall we say then? So then th- that the law is sin. Is the law the problem? By no means. Hmm. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Mm -hmm. For if I had not known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Mm -hmm. And then he says this, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. That's that connection with with death again, like in 1 Corinthians 15. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So he's saying like this, this moral standard of God is good. It's not the problem. It's not like God was to blame for this whole issue as if he shouldn't have given his people the law. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, no, no. God's moral standards are absolutely good. The problem is in humanity, this moral standard produces, seizes this opportunity for us, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it, and tell me that we don't identify with that in our human condition. Mm-hmm. That like again, that idea yeah. that the minute there's a rule, it, it begins to work on us mm-hmm. to not do it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've never seen that with your kids, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> like, right. it's like they don't really want to do that thing until you tell them they can't right. do that thing, right. and then they want to do it. And that's yeah. true just much of us Absolutely. as adults as well. We just. Show it differently. Yeah. So like yeah. he says, so the, like the law arouses the sin in us because the sin seizes this opportunity and produces more sin. So then he approaches another objection, right? Did that which is good then bring death to me? Okay, so was it the law that was the, re- the problem of death? How did that happen? Again, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so it's this question, right? The law is arousing the sin, and sin is seizing this opportunity to our hearts, and it's showing that sin is producing this death. So, And that's exactly the same thing that Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. He's trying to draw this out. He's saying the law wasn't the problem, but sin seizes this opportunity in our hearts. And actually, when we go against the law, it shows just how holy God is, and it shows just how incapable we are of saving ourselves and our own strength. And so sometimes people will ask, you know, what's the relationship, especially for Old Testament saints and Jesus Christ? How were they saved? Could they have accomplished the law and be saved by works? No, that's not the way the Old Testament writes it out at all. It's not that somehow they were saved by their own works, that they had some zeal. I mean, Paul looks back on it and he says, just as much then as it is today, our sinful nature bucks against the law of God, whether it be the Old Testament law of God or the moral law of God's commands on our lives today. And that law produces more sin in our hearts so that if we try to justify ourselves by our own strength, it just shows how holy God is and how incapable we are in our own power. And so he's highlighting this reality because he's like, okay, sin was the problem. Sin brought the death, the death brought the pain, and that is incurable in our own strength. That's the point he's trying to make so that he can say, you know, praise be to Christ for the victory. You know, and he makes that comment toward the end of 1 Corinthians. We talked about that on Sunday as well, right? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we don't earn it. We don't accomplish it. They didn't in the Old Testament. We don't in the New Testament. It's all a work of Jesus Christ. And so praise be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that was a good extra five minutes. I like that. <laughs> it was probably a little bit more than an extra five minutes. but <laughs> I didn't watch the clock, but yeah, I and, and, and I could be wrong here speculating, but also 
that you had kind of mentioned it this whole well does the law even mean anything now that we have mm-hmm. the new testament but it's a good reminder that that law is still the guide rail it's guardrail yeah. it still exposes a, a lot of things in our lives yeah it's and people will ask some of the you know how much of the law are we called to yep. you know still maintain and things like well the law the way the new testament speaks of it the law has been fulfilled in christ that's right, right? so the, the the mosaic law was fulfilled in the personal work of jesus christ he he fulfilled every requirement of the old testament law mm-hmm. so that that as a moral standard as a binding like covenant with mm-hmm. us is no longer in place. That's right. And yet God doesn't change. You know, it's not as if he was one God in the Old Testament and he's a different God in the New Testament. You know, adultery was wrong in the Old Testament, but it's okay in the New Testament. Nope. I mean, that's precisely what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 5. Yep. They're saying, ah, because of grace, none of this behavior stuff matters. We don't need to worry about it. And they can boast in the fact that right. they've got somebody in their church that is engaging this sort of sexual immorality. That's right. Instead, he says, no, God is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are saved by grace. We're not saved by works, but yeah. we're called to live in obedience. That would That's be right. James's point in the New Testament. You know, like this idea. And so so there's a, there's a symmetry to this whole mm-hmm. idea that he's trying to help them see and he's trying to help them understand and, and put these pieces together because we tend to miss those things in, yeah. in our own vision. So what's the application to all this? You know, I, I think especially one of the things that's worth considering is, is this idea – we default to a works-based righteousness. Mm-hmm. We, whether even if we've accepted the gospel and it walked with to be Christ, our yeah, it was, like that's. I mean, there's a reason that every other world religion yeah. is basically a works-based religion, right? Yeah. Grace doesn't make sense, and he said that before in First Corinthians too, right? right? This grace-based system is not going to make sense to the world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense because they're going to go, well, what value do I have? What credit do I get? Right. None. You still That's need to live in a point. manner worthy of your calling. However, yes, but, grace but covers. the means to that, we tend to think that that means the harder we work, the better we get. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, Paul has even made the the case in First Corinthians that like not even your understanding, your knowledge, your wisdom, your your recognition of the gospel is something you can take credit for. Like even God gave that to you. You can't take credit for any of it. You can't, can't take credit for your sanctification right. any more than you can take credit for your justification. Right. It's all a work of God in you. But sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to feel like we move past that. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I was saved by grace, but now my call is to basically do it in my own strength. That's right. And when we operate on our own strength, we're not walking by the Spirit, as Galatians would say. We're a little self-focused. Well, yeah, it's exactly, it becomes very narcissistic, Mm -hmm. where the new measuring rod becomes not the world standard of how much I make or how much power I have or whatever, but how, quote unquote, spiritual I am in whatever definition of that you have. Right. You know, and so then we're like, well, now I have to tick the boxes to make myself look more spiritual. And that actually works the opposite direction because that builds the kind of spiritual arrogance mm-hmm. that he's been criticizing over the course of the entire Since book of First Corinthians. <laughs> it's like that yeah. I've got it figured out. Yeah. I can do it in my yeah. own strength. And he's trying to demolish that to mm-hmm. say like it is when we recognize our own depravity that we recognize our need for God. Paul is definitely knocking him down a few pegs. Absolutely. because Not because he wants them to feel like self-loathing, mm-hmm. but he wants them to turn to Christ. So did the Corinthians end up getting it? You know, that's a really good – there's some debate <laughs> dun, dun, on that because he has to write the letter of Second Corinthians, right? It, like, that's where I was wondering. Okay, so did they get it or was there a reason he's like, hey, guys, remember me? The, the, the painful <laughs> part is there, there appears to be some, some growth in some of the areas – um, that he addresses in Second Corinthians. Yeah, some of the topics he yeah. addresses seem to be getting better. He he at least doesn't come back to them, mm-hmm. or he encourages them on some of them. Uh, other times in Second Corinthians, you go, okay, he's pretty much 
compounding on some of the same stuff yeah. he was addressing in First Corinthians. Yeah. So um, they may have gotten it for a while. Which is like most of us, right? Yeah. You know, most of us, like we, we, we get into trouble, we go, God help us, he does, mm-hmm. and then we start relying on our own strength and we're, we're in the, song, the book second of verse, Judges in the Old chapter. Testament, this cycle, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. same issue that we struggle yeah. with. Because again, yeah. when we have success, that's when we're most in threat of becoming arrogant. Mm-hmm. It's and when we forget had, what got you there. Yeah. I mean, well, and think about it. Like, again, like I've tried to emphasize as we've gone through First Corinthians, we tend to think this is a bad church. Things must be going really badly for them because we think, you know, sinfulness, probably there's nothing positive going on in the church. I mean, this is, this is probably easily the 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 least functional church in the New Testament that Paul writes to, or any of the New Testament epistles write to. And yet, there seems to be incredibly dynamic, incredible things going on in, in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Like, the, God is working mightily, mm-hmm. but he's... And so it's because they're having success that seems to be the reason they're becoming spiritual arrogant, because they're like, yeah. we're having these incredible experiences, and people are coming to know Christ, mm-hmm. and all these amazing things are taking place, and so then they start taking credit for it. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's when that's when the threat really comes, right? It's like when we're at our lowest, more often than not, that's when we run to Christ. It's when we're at what we perceive to be our strength that we get ourselves into trouble. I mean, even even think back at like an Old Testament example of this would be like King David, right? Okay, when does he do well? He's doing really well when he's hiding in caves from King Saul. Like his heart seems to be pretty good, right? He's doing pretty well early on when he's going out and fighting and God's coming through and conquering the land. But he gets comfortable as the king. He says, you guys can go fight the war on your own, which Mm -hmm. wasn't what Old Testament kings were supposed to do. They were supposed to go out and lead the army. Mm -hmm. But he goes, I'm going to stay home. Mm -hmm. Right, Which I'm going to get comfortable because he had nothing to do. And he gets himself into trouble. Rooftop. Like, That's why right. is he on the roof? Why is he there in the evening? Right. What he is, is he bored? Some... Does he yep. know what's coming? And yep. he gets himself into trouble. Right, yep. and we have the whole adultery with Bathsheba mm-hmm. and the killing of Uriah, mm-hmm. and it's because he was in a position of strength. And mm-hmm. it happens again later on in his life as well. Right, where he decides, I can take a census of the people, yeah. which God had commanded him not to do, and you mm-hmm. get this plague that breaks out, and. David seemed to learn that lesson, mm-hmm. but he was still guilty of it. And you see it through a number of the other father, you know, like the the patriarchs and the same yeah. sort of thing. It's it's when we are comfortable, it's when we are successful, it's when we perceive ourselves to be okay apart from God. Israelites. That, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, we're just like that. Yeah. We're just like them. We need like, you, we need you. Oh, we're doing really good. Oh, God, yeah. did you forget about Yeah, us? exactly. Yeah. And we're looking... Um, this fall, I'm hoping to go, Lord willing, into the mm-hmm. book of Joshua. Okay. And Joshua is an excellent example of this reminder that because yeah. we look at a person like Joshua, we go, what an incredible military commander. Like he, mm-hmm. he led the people to conquer the whole land of Israel, basically. I mean, this is a phenomenal era for yeah. Israel's history. Yes. But the book makes it very, 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 very clear that the successful leader is the one who submits to the Lord's will and submits to the Lord's word and submits mm-hmm. to the Lord's timing mm-hmm. and does it his way. Yeah. And the minute the Israelites think we can do it on our own strength because, hey, we have however many soldiers, we can, we can accomplish this, that's when they start failing. Yeah. It's, exactly, it's exactly where we are. And this is, this is the human condition where, yeah. you know, uh, success leads to arrogance mm-hmm. more often than not. And, and that's the sort of pride he's going after in First Corinthians. It's a hard battle to fight. It is. And yeah. You know, it's 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 one of the things, and I've said it before in the sermon series. Some of the most, some of the most holy saints that you know mm-hmm. are older believers that speak to their own sin. They like part of their holiness is their awareness of their own depravity apart mm-hmm. from the work of the Spirit in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul has said it in First Corinthians. You know, and such were some of you. Like apart from God's grace, that that's where we all go. 
you know, and a growing awareness of the fact that we need Christ and we need the Holy Spirit moment by moment (laughs) is what results in the sanctification. That's what, that's what reveals real maturity, not biblical knowledge by itself, you know, because faith or knowledge without love puffs up, Mm -hmm. as Paul has said, you know, but this recognition that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And a daily surrender to that. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And that's what they needed if they're going to be moving forward and being fruitful for ministry. Yeah, and so I, I I joked here a few minutes ago about so at the end, at the end of First Corinthians, did they get it? Did they mm-hmm. latch on to Paul's warnings and exhortation at times? Um, which leads me to we have two more weeks in the book of Corinthians, I believe. We do, and then we, do. we are done with Corinthians. Well, and that's kind of an interesting thing to say because I'm I was looking at chapter sixteen, mm-hmm. and chapter sixteen is when he begins moving into his conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, if people are familiar with the way New Testament epistles are written, mm-hmm. there's there's an introduction the and greeting, kind of some greetings of all those meet. people, and then you get the body of the letter mm-hmm. that it covers all the topics, and then you get kind of a salutation mm-hmm. at the end of the letter and a charge. Ch- would you call it like yeah, a charge? Yeah, exactly. A lot of times it will have final. Reading, yep. say hi from these people. It will have a, a doxology or a benediction. It will kind of have some closing words as he as he mm-hmm. closes out his thoughts. And this has all of that. Um, and so chapter 16, verses 1 through 24 is what we're going to cover on Sunday. And so he, he talks about some, some practical details as far as collecting some money to give to the church in Jerusalem. He talks about some people that he's hoping will come and visit them. He talks about different people they should say hi to and different people they should kind of uh, appreciate for their ministry. And, and then he finishes out the words or with, the, with, his, with a greeting from the people where he's writing from. And he finishes out with some personal hands because probably he had a scribe of some sort writing this letter. And so he writes a, a personal note kind of at the end. And there's enough good stuff here. It's very practical and it's very down to earth. It's not that kind of lofty theological stuff. It's like, okay, this is how you should collect stuff, money for the saints, you know, sort of thing. But there's enough good content that I really wanted to make sure we took some time and covered that. Okay. But I also want to make sure we go back and we kind of pull the entirety of First Corinthians together. Mm-hmm. So this Sunday, we're going to cover the last chapter, verses okay. 1 through 24. And then next Sunday, we're going to do kind of a wrap-up okay. review of the whole book of First Corinthians because I just felt like it was too much to cover in one week. Um, so uh, for our listeners, I would really encourage them to be reading that last chapter, chapter 16, over the next couple of weeks. If you want to go back and read through the entirety of First Corinthians, That's what I was going to ask. If we read 16, is there, is there certain chapters or do you just encourage the whole book? Yeah, I, it's, it's very evident that he's writing the conclusion in light of all of the exhortations he's given them through the book. Okay. And so people's uh, engagement, people's understanding of these next two weeks will just be bettered if they've gone back okay. and refreshed kind of everything that they've seen. We'll try to cover it a bit when we come back through it in two weeks on, on the mm-hmm. entirety of the book. Um, but at least for the time being, um, read verses 1 through 24 of chapter 16. Okay. It gives you a sense for that. Note some of the names and some of the people that they're saying hi to. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because he, he notes, okay, I'm trying to send t- Timothy to you. And I'm encouraging Apollos to come and visit mm-hmm. you again sometime. And those are some familiar names that we probably know from the New Testament. Um, but other than that, it's just kind of a matter of being like, how is Paul going to punctuate the end of this letter? What practical things is he going to encourage them to do in light of the struggles they've been having over the course of this mm-hmm. book? Okay. I can't believe it. It feels like we just started First Corinthians last week, and we've been hard at it since September, August. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the date. I think September. I don't yeah, think we started in we August. I think Malachi, it was September. I believe in the summer that we started. Took a break for Christmas, mm-hmm. but otherwise, it's just kind of been one chapter at a time. Yeah, we've been walking through it. It's so. been great. Um, so that's the next two weeks, and then. Do you want to tell our listeners, do you want me to cover it on April 30th, what we got going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. If our listeners haven't heard yet, if we haven't 
because I, I think we've mentioned it in one or two things, but on the yep. on we're just kind of starting to talk about it. But yeah, on April thirtieth, we're going to do a thirtieth anniversary celebration as a church, just kind of a, a remembering of how far God has brought mm-hmm. us over the course of the last thirty years. Mm-hmm. I did not mean to line it up so that the dates are yeah, that it's it's actually the thirtieth anniversary that we're <laughs> celebrating on the thirtieth. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. We're we're going to have a little bit of a longer service because mm-hmm. we're going to break it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. I would encourage people uh, to try and make it on the 30th to try and join us. I'm going to be preaching a little bit of what we'll hear, Lord willing, this fall in Joshua, yeah. but I'm going to be taking some of what we see in Joshua, this reminder mm-hmm. in, in, in right at the beginning, after they cross over the Jordan River, there's this episode in the book of Joshua where they set up 12 stones as a reminder for the people, the fact yeah. that God brought them through the river, just like he brought the previous generation through the Red Sea right. in the Exodus, and then he has them build this monument, and he says specifically, when you build this monument, it is a, it's basically claiming like this is the land God has promised to give you. And he hasn't given it to you yet, but this monument is a testament that he's promised to give it to you. And someday when your kids come here and the land is yours, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to look back at this and you're going to say, hey, look at that monument. We put that up before we conquered the land. Mm-hmm. God promised that he would be faithful and he was faithful. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that reality and how it encourages us to look backward to God's faithfulness over the last 30 years as a church, say, look look at some of the incredible things that God has done for us mm-hmm. in the last 30 years, yeah. because it really is amazing to consider. The it more is. you know about the story and the more you understand um, what was involved in that first group planting the church and God's hand working through them and the way he mm-hmm. provided the land and the building and was mm-hmm. just, it, his hand and his power is evident in our history together as a church. Yep. So we want to remember that. And then we also want to say, hey, look, like, God has promised to build his church. That's right. Right. God has God has has called us to a task. He's called us to a mission. He's called us to move forward. And uh, he's promised to be with us, right? right. The Great Commission, right? And lo, I am with you mm-hmm. to the ends of the age. Mm-hmm. And that reminder that Christ is promising to be with us, to enable what he's called us to do, is an incredible charge for us to look forward. And I think we mm-hmm. see some of those themes in Joshua. Absolutely. And I think it'll be an encouraging morning as we consider where he has brought us from, where yeah. he's calling us to go in the future, and just spend a little bit of time together uh, You know, during the second hour, since it'll be a longer service. We're just going to yeah. get together and enjoy some food and fellowship mm-hmm. in the fellowship hall. So I'd encourage if people can make it to join us for that Sunday. I yeah. think it's going to be a good time remembering and worshiping God be. for what he's done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I got goosebumps while you're talking, not because it's cold in this room, but I <laughs> just the idea of God of the Old Testament, the God who parted the Red Sea, is is the God that inspired Faith Bible Church to be who we are. Yeah. So yep. I'm excited for the 30th celebration. Um, I think that's it. I think that highlights our next few weeks really well. Yep, that's what's coming up. And then uh, the plan, I haven't said it to anybody really, mm-hmm. but the plan is to move into a series on Psalms over the course of the summer. So yep. Lord willing, when we begin first Sunday in May, we'll, we'll be into the Psalms. That'll be great. All right. Well, thanks, Pastor Brad. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recaps.